Okay, Shivam, how do you keep an Indian-American man and an Italian-American man in suspense? Oh. That's the joke. (laughs) 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 I'm Phil DeLuca. Hi, I'm Shiva. Do you want to turn to that again, please? Hey, mister. Sorry, I was thinking of the the Cowboy Bebop theme. Sorry. Hey, mister, can I get a preview card? (laughs) Wait, did I forget my life? (laughs) God. And we are Commander, and why not? Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) And good night. We'll see you next week. It was all a ruse. Wow, shorter show ever, guys. Record time. (laughs) Yeah, that was remarkable. And Gavin, your body will be uh, fine-tuned for the next three hours, expecting more Commanderin. But you'll have to do something else with that energy, like uh, run or lift buildings. Do you ever wonder if aliens were listening to our conversations right now? Like what they would be thinking. Dude, I wonder what our listeners think about when they're listening to our conversations. <laughs> you know, all I'm saying is we're putting this out on the internet. Someday in thousands of years, aliens might find this podcast. It's might be the only thing that survives from human history. Yeah. They're going to have to reconstruct all of human society <laughs> and language from this one podcast. So all I can say to that is Yargle. <laughs> <laughs> Yargle's a good choice there. Listeners, we know you have a choice of several different (laughs) podcasts to listen to, and we appreciate that you are listening to and with us. I'm trying to stop. (laughs) (laughs) The the best part about all this is about, you don't know this, listeners, but about 10 minutes ago before we start recording, it feels like, all right, we're going to make this one a light editing show. And so so I know all the stuff. We're just going to leave it in. It's going to be great. We're just going to leave it in, and life's going to be wonderful. We are just leaving it in. Listeners, our faithful editor, Dave Mitchell, has brought you this wonderful segment of us just laughing and cutting it up and not really staying at all on target. We are so giddy. Gavin was right earlier. We can't even contain ourselves. Look, you know, today I've had a pretty long, wild day, but we did have our Battle Bond preview event at work today, so it was pretty fun to to go oh, in and sweet. actually to check out the set for the first time. I never even touched a Battle Bond card, and then I, got, I cracked my first pack live, and it was delightful. If only there was some kind of social media program where you could have uploaded such that people could see it. Yeah, it's for the birds, which means it's on Twitter. <laughs> well, we'll left a link to that, won't we? The first time ever that Gavin Verhey touches a card after it's been printed. Did you smell it? I could smell many things in that room, but one of them was, <laughs> was definitely the opening of a booster pack. Smelled great. Oh, you know, I had this amazing moment at Strategicon last weekend. I opened this this little game, this little game. It was all, all these cards, and it's basically war, but uh, stylized. And it had 
1994 pack smell. Oh, that's a good year. And there were four packs, and we opened them. Oh, it was, ah. Uh, I, I, I opened it, and I was instantly, I'm like, oh, I know this smell. And I, listeners and Gavin and Shivam, I took the packs, and I opened it. I sniffed it. I put it right in my nose, and I sniffed it. And I just breathed it in, and I fanned them until the card smell went away. And But it was it was right there. It was right there. I just imagine we. I come over to Phil's house someday, which I, he's moving into a new place. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, yes, and you're welcome to. Yes, so I, I come over, and of course, he's moving into this elaborate new place in California. So, And he's in yeah. California, so I'm going to walk in. And like all California houses, as we all know, they all have wine cellars. And we're, we're going to go yes. down there, but instead of wine on the shelves, it's going to be booster packs of different years from different games. It's like, <laughs> ah, yes, uh, a 1996 pack. It was a good year. Not as good as the 97 smell, I must say. That was the best year. The The mm. must was particularly good in, in at Carter Monday, but uh, yeah, you should give this a whiff. And then you can collect them because, you know, we have many printers around the world, so maybe different regions have better better smells. I mean, there's all kinds you know, of stuff. There, there yeah. are Japanese cards that just feel differently than American ones. And the Korean ones have this yeah. nice sheen on them. And when you crack open that pack, you get this lovely waft of just Korean dust that comes through, and it's really toothy. Did you say Korean dust? Well, you know, there's got to be something inside of the pack, right? So you open a pack and it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so maybe not quite so uh, Harry Potter-ish. <laughs> <laughs> we put a spotlight on community issues. <laughs> but never, ever talk about three banned topics. We might have to introduce the, the, the smell of magic cards as a banned topic. But never talk about religion, politics, or Hearthstone. So, Gavin, we, we know how much you like to talk about politics. You're going to have to restrain yourself, just as Shivam restrains himself from talking about Hearthstone. <laughs> to be fair, once Arena came out, I actually just uninstalled Hearthstone, so I'm never going to talk about it again. Well, friends, uh, as listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep us going. If you enjoy what you hear, go rate us wherever you get this podcast from. That's right. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Commander and MTG. Share us with your friends. That's actually one of the most important things you could do. You can also support us financially by visiting patreon.com forward slash commander in MTG. And for a buck a show, you can help us stay on the air, get good equipment, and keep paying for server costs and other things to help bring Phil's dulcet tones directly to your earbuds. <laughs> and Shivam. Nobody wants to hear my dulcet tones for any reason at all. <laughs> Actually, remember, we got that feedback the other day that they were like, you have an amazing voice. That was Shivam. hilarious. Um, yes. But if for whatever reason, a pay, uh, Patreon doesn't fit your budgetary needs, you can also go to our PayPal link at commanderandmtg.com forward slash donations. And if you do so, feel free to give us a tip, drop a couple of bucks and say thank you. We genuinely appreciate it. We cannot do this without you. We have no other sponsors but you. And don't forget to visit us on YouTube. Comment, rate, subscribe, share them on Twitter, share them on Facebook, and play the video to the end if you can, because that helps YouTube's algorithm surface our video for other people to see too. It sure does. Remember, folks, we only do this because we love Commander and we know you love Commander. And we want to keep bringing you the best possible show we can, and we can only do it with your help. You know, Shivam, I ran into a couple of listeners, one of whom is also a patron, and they noticed that we are not doing uh, prizes anymore, like giveaways. And the truth is, we 
don't get enough from our Patreon to be able to offer prizes and mail those out. Shipping costs are not uh, not free. Yeah, we have to ship these things across the world, and so as soon as there's a winner outside of the continental United States, the shipping costs are more than the the price of the, the packs themselves. So it's really kind of tough. So we do need patron support. We are listener-supported, like you said, and only listener-supported. So thank you very much, patrons. Speaking of, we do like to call out three Patroni each week, and then once a month we're going to call out our top patrons. And you can, of course, change your name. We're just going to read whatever your name is on Patreon. <laughs> and this week we want to call out three people we're really grateful to. Nick Reno. I've been to Reno. Not Nick, but the city. Um, Lee. No last name. Lee. And Ian Wallace. Thank you very much, folks. Nick Reno, Lee, and Ian Wallace. Really appreciate it. All right. We have talked about having a patron contest, and what we did was we picked a date for our patron contest, and we'll describe it, but we picked a date that is just before Vegas, and it's impossible for us to do this. So listen up for the new details. We're changing the date on our patron contest. Gavin is our guest tonight. I know it's a we're spoiling us. But Gavin, did you realize that two lucky patrons will participate in our next game show show? And in order to do it, they have to be an active patron of the show. And it now has to be as of July 8th, not June 8th. We apologize. We're just too wrapped up in Vegas and prepping for that. There's no way we're going to be able to evaluate this then and make the judgments by then. Well, uh, two things. First of all, GP Vegas around the corner, so really excited. Hopefully some patrons will come and hang out with us. I'll be there. You guys will be there. It'll be fantastic. And second of all, I mean, I'm a patron. I hope I get picked for for to be on the next game show. Being a patron is awesome. I get messages in my inbox every time a new episode goes up. And, you know, for a dollar a show, I love supporting these guys. They do such fantastic work. It's the least you could do. So really, be a patron. Oh, thank you, Gavin. That's amazing. As someone who's made content, like I, I made a lot of content before I came to Wizards. I've listened to a lot of content. It's just, it means so much. It's a very tiny amount, especially the Bucket Show level, but it means so much to the people who are making it. And the, the tiny little additions that all you listeners out there throw in can do so much toward allowing uh, these guys to do really great things. So if you like the show, you like people being on it, please, please support. So, Gavin, if you're selected, you will form a team with another patron and you will play against me and Shivam. And we don't know what the games will be. Uh, Sean will pick that. It will definitely be, you know, the patrons against the hosts and we'll have a good old time recording. It's going to be amazing. Do you want to know how to get picked? I'm going to guess you need to be a patron. <laughs> well, you need to be a patron, an active patron as of July 8th. And that means Patreon has told us that uh, you are donating to the show. And you need to send us, you can send it ahead of time in anticipation of being an active patron. You can send us a one-minute audio recording in WAV format, in WAV file format. And you have to say your name in that. And at the same time, send us a letter, an email letter, an electronic mail letter. How about that? Telling us in both the audio and the letter, why you should be on the game show. show. And it's best if you send us a link to the one-minute file. If you go over a minute, that's going to be really bad, so don't do that. And we're going to judge you on the quality of your recording. So make sure that you're audible, you can be heard clearly. And Gavin, you are right now, you are, you are, you are perfectly suited for this. 
Although I realize that this show is likely to go longer than a minute, so <laughs> yes. unfortunately it's probably not. I was just going to send you actually a copy of this podcast <laughs> as my audition tape, yeah. but I guess that's not going to work out, huh? Yeah, if you speed it up, though, you can get it under a minute. I'll just pick a minute-long chunk when I'm going on a tangent later on and then send that <laughs> to okay. you. Okay, all right, great. I even, I even have the raw the raw sound file, so I can make sure you don't hear any of you yahoos out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those yahoos out there <laughs> that you're talking to oh right now. Oh, my God. It'd be funny if David took the entire episode and sped it up into a one-minute chunk. And <laughs> <put it in. laughs> he, he sends it back to you, and it's just Gavin's audio. Yeah. He's like, oh, I thought that's what you wanted. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate it, man. Here's how we're going to select our participants. We have a panel of judges. The hosts and super patron Andy Bentley, Mr. Bentley, or as his uh, parents know him, Mr. Big Bents. We're going to get together. We're going to listen to all of the submissions and choose two. It's going to be awesome. All right. And then you heard us mention GP Vegas listeners. That's right. In only a week from when this drops, Shivam and I are going to be at GP Vegas, barring uh, any sort of uh, unexpected or even expected disaster. This is going to be an awesome Vegas. Uh, We are actually, and you're going to be there for a couple of days. I'm going to be there for the entire time. We're staying with Ryan uh, from the Brothers War podcast, and he has a couple of friends coming up as well. We're going to be playing so much magic. We're going to be playing Battle Bond. I'll bring one or two of my boxes and we will play because you know who else is going to be there? Probably half of magic. <laughs> yes, but those are yahoos. <laughs> They're yahoos out there. The one that is not a yahoo will be there, Gavin Verhey. Yay. Is that the same shady guy we met the other day? He's following us around, isn't it? He keeps giving me these cards. I don't know what to do with <laughs> Yeah, we've Battlebond has already been fully previewed. We don't need any more completely free preview <laughs> just keep cards. Shoving these partners into my pocket and I'm just look, man. I don't, I don't need any more toothies. <laughs> I, I'll just send you copies of all the designs that didn't make it into the set, and I'll just keep bombarding your inbox with them until you have hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of cards that weren't good enough for the set, and then you won't know what to do. It turns out the Battle Bond was glue the whole time. <laughs> what? The battle bond. Yeah. It's a super battle bond. Oh right. It's it's gorilla <laughs> battle bond. Yeah. So Gavin, we're calling this uh Commander Masters. Is that okay? <laughs> That's not the name that uh I have selected and my team has selected, but that is something that the community are pretty keen on calling it. And you know, frankly, when we were working on Battle Bond, one of our big goals was to put in a lot of cards that commander players would really want, along with Q players and legacy players, but we knew that people would come for the draft experience. You know, sit down, play two at a giant, draft the cards. But then we didn't really expect people to actually go and play two at a giant after they finished the draft because it's just, we don't that's not a popular constructed format. Um so we need those cards to have a life somewhere else, and Commander was a very natural fit. Plus, you even have the multiplayer thing going on, so we could do a lot of cool cards, like, say, the Friend and Foe cycle, which work well in Commander as well as in Twitter Giant. Can I just say that that's actually a really great idea? I mean, a design philosophy, rather. One of the big problems with uh, my two favorite sets ever, Conspiracy, was that after you did the conspiracy draft, it was hard to reuse those cards. So knowing that you guys have gone into this with the specific mindset of, hey, do these cards have a life beyond Battle Bond? That's actually really appealing to me. 
And, you know, we had that philosophy for conspiracy, and that's why you see some cards like Show and Tell, Berserk, Leovold, um, <laughs> things like that. But uh, this set really took it to the next level, I think. Shivam just hissed. <laughs> you could tell because he said the word hiss. <laughs> Leovold is the worst. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a tiny leader shot that went awry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Smidge. That, next time you take a tiny leader shot, let us know, and we'll tell you it's already awry. Just thinking about it, it's and and just just so everyone knows, that's not actually true. It was. I mean, the fact that it was good in tiny leaders was a nice bonus, but it was really we knew it was going to be a strong card. Let's start with the most important uh, question of all. Like, now you're from Valor's Reach, right? What is Valor's Reach? Oh. It's great. the The rent is not too bad, although it's getting more and more popular these days. And yeah, Valor's Reach is a great place to live. So Valor's Reach is the arena that's on Kylum. It's a brand new plane for this world. And Valor's Reach is where all the people of Kylum come to watch these amazing fights in the stadium. And the pinnacle of the fights that happen in the stadium are two on two combat. And it's about not just winning, but winning with style and panache. You want you want your cool style points. And so they hop into this arena that has a the, the battlefield is always changing. It's a forest one moment, and then it morphs into a, a lava field the next, and it conveniently maps the five magic basic land types. What are the odds? That's very convenient. You can find those lands in your Battle Bond booster packs. Then they do battle, and you have all these cool dynamic pairs that happen. And then, of course, there's other things that happen in the arena. Some beasts are running around, and so on and so forth. But it's pretty sweet. Wow, that's awesome. And one really cool thing, too, is um, in this set, we really only see Valor's Reach on Kylum. So we get a taste of the plane, but if we ever want to come back here, there's an entire rest of the plane to explore that is outside of Valor's Reach. And you can you know, you know, can kind of see how this plane has a very diverse crowd. We, we could kind of make the world whatever we, we want if Valor's Reach is a popular place. I got to say, I really like what you've uh, done with the uh, supplementary sets getting really developed planes that we don't see a whole lot of so that we can go to. Fiora or uh, Kylum or any of these other places. So a few battle bond details before we uh, go too far into this. We're gonna it's a, it's gonna be a wild show, folks. Hold on. <laughs> battle bond releases on June eighth, two thousand eighteen. It's a wonderful day. I'm not quite sure why. Happy birthday, Phil. Thank you, thank you. There are two hundred and fifty nine cards in the set, and Unlike every preceding Masters set, this is only three ninety nine per pack. That's a regular booster price. That's incredible, by the way. That's amazing. The world thanks you, Gavin. But why two-headed giant for Battlebomb? Why not make this just a regular draft set and just fill it full of yummy EDH cards and other stuff? Every year for the past few years, we've done what we call these draft innovation sets, which is a twist on normal drafting. Conspiracy came from this. Unstable was was one of these. And we were looking at what to do for upcoming draft innovations. And I think that there is a lot of excitement around doing something that's a little different than what you would normally expect with a draft set. We can release a ton of new draft sets that are just, you know, your normal booster releases, but this is a chance to really do something different. And so we were looking at other play formats, other unusual ways to play. And one thing that really came up was Two-Hitted Giant. And at the time, this was just a little bit after Oath of the Gatewatch. And that set had really garnered more interest in Two-Hitted Giant. And at pre-releases, Twitter Giant is always really popular. You go to a pre-release and people talk about their Twitter Giant yeah. flights, having a good time, but it's not really supported outside of that. And Sean Main had the great idea to try a Twitter Giant draft set, and we, you know, I was in one of his first playtests ever, and it just was a blast. One of the things that I love about it 
and I think why it really sticks is playing magic is fun. But when you're playing magic, especially one-on-one, you're sitting down across from someone else and you're just playing magic against each other. And you'll talk about things happening in the game, but you know, you just kind of say what your actions are back and forth. When you're playing to it a giant, you get this great opportunity to actually have this person next to you, play with them, talk to them about strategy. When you're drafting, you get to discuss your draft picks together. There's a lot of really, really unique things that you get to do in this format you don't get to do anywhere else. And what's better than winning with a friend by your side? Plus... In addition to just playing with a good friend, it's an awesome opportunity to bring people back into the game who haven't played in a little while or are newer to the game and maybe wouldn't want to go to a tournament. So it's a great chance to both go play with, you know, someone that you've known for ages, but as well as bring in someone who's new to the game. Yeah, two at a giant is pretty safe as a format because it's not head to head and your mistakes aren't amplified or at least uh, completely visible because you're, you're the only one on your side, right? So two had a giant, you can get one person who's more experienced and they'll kind of carry the decision making. So it's a really good way to get both new players and returning players, like you said. And it's so friendly. You really do create a bond with the person you're playing with, especially if you know them ahead of time. But I've made friends by playing two at a giant at my local game store. Yeah, I was uh, explaining to my wife the conceit of this set, and she says, wow, that sounded just like the wacky set that we got to play where I ran around high-fiving people. I hope you can do that again. And I'm like, well, this isn't quite that, but it's close. Her first uh, experience, or not first, but her return to magic experience was with Unstable. And I have a feeling this is going to appeal to that same uh, sense of whimsy that uh, Unstable did, if not quite as insane. But she definitely liked the puppy card. Yeah, you know, this set is definitely on the black-bordered side of the black-bordered, silver-bordered line. But we wanted to give it a little more light-hearted feeling than normal. And we did that for a few reasons. One, it's a, it's a innovation set. It's supposed to be fun and a little light-hearted. And even in Conspiracy, you had a little bit more of that light-hearted feel. And second, if we're bringing new people into the game or people who haven't played as much in events or trying to get your significant other to play or things like that, having a very fun, approachable tone is really important. And I'm uh, personally, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I think the flavor is really fun and it's something we haven't really done a lot of in Magic. Like one of my favorite pieces of art in the set is Jubilant Mascot. It's this homunculus cheerleader looking yeah. <laughs> guy. And, and I love that piece. I love the dog. I love uh, the concessions vendors, the goblins. Maybe my favorite piece of art in, in the set. That's so good. I like the victory chimes a lot. Yeah, the chimes are great. So there's a, just a lot of really cool stuff going on here. Are the uh, homunculi an actual race on uh, Kylum? Yeah, and in fact, the homunculi are in blue and white on Kylum, and they're mostly the referees of the world. The counterspell with the two of them holding the like the out-of-bounds counterspell is amazing. That artwork is yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. So they're they basically take a lot of the jobs in the arena. So referee all the way from referees to cheerleaders to even janitors. Like that's what the homunculi are there to do. To kind of you know proceed over everything else, make sure that things go according to plan. And, and in fact, Zindersplit and, and Oakwan, Zindersplit is the homunculi of the pair. And uh, it's a very rare site uh, homunculus that gets to break out of the paradigm of the world. But now Zindersplit is a retired officiant and is kind of doing its own thing. Are the homunculi sentient, like warforged from D&D? Yeah, the homunculi here are totally sentient. Yeah, they're not subservient to anybody. They are very much, you know, living, breathing beings that make their own decisions. And, um, you know, in some worlds we've seen homunculi as basically pets of wizards or things like that. And here it's that's not the case at all. They are their own people. Also, can I say that the reprint of Totally Lost 
with the original artwork yeah. and the original flavor text is like absolutely inspired given how well it fits in with this setting. It almost feels like you took totally lost and then built Kylum entirely from that card. Yeah. When I discovered that as a reprint, I, it was just perfect. It was a great fit. And I, I looked for a lot of reprints that did that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. With a number of the reprints, I looked really hard to try and find ones that both fit the set, but also fit the flavor of the set. Because with reprints, you don't get like new art and things like that a lot of the times, um, unless you know we get to, we flag a few cards for new artwork. But we can't make the entire set have new art for the most part. So with the reprints, I especially wanted ones that felt like they could be part of the world. And in fact, there is one card in the set, and very few people. I think I I don't even know if I've seen anyone talk about this. There is one card in the set that got different flavor text than it had precisely because of this. Do you know which card it is? No, no we don't. I don't. <laughs> so I, we were working on the set, and one of the things going on that Mel Lee was big on, and I think it was a really cool idea, was the idea of twosiness. So this meant that there would be cards that cared about two. Like some things have two heads, and some you know effects would deal two points of damage, all that kind of stuff. Multiples of two. And so a reprint that I thought would be really great was Spell Snare. So I put Spell Snare in the set, and it made it all the way through, and I was really happy with it. And then I started looking at it close to when the set was finished, and I realized that the flavor text from Dissension basically just talks about how horrible 2 is. The flavor text is like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, we, we can pull it up here, but it's basically akin to, in, in Ravnica, 2 is the worst number of all, um, because you're either being stabbed in the back. It's right here. Every culture has its unlucky numbers. In a city where you're either alone, in a crowd, or being stabbed in the back, 2 is the worst number of all. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and, and I read this flavor text, and I'm like, this just does not seem correct for for the set. So I went over to Kelly Diggs and I was like, hey Kelly, I know we don't usually reface flavor text for the set, but I've got a pretty good case for this one. And we talked for a while and yeah, we ended up putting something new on there. And the new one is, Phil, since you've got it up right there, with, what's the new one say? With practice, the measurement of magic can lead to its mastery. Bam, check out that gorgeous, gorgeous prose. Um, so yeah, that, that piece, that card got new flavor text from its old flavor text. And then there's another card in the set that previously did not have flavor text, but now does, um, I believe. And I think that is a screeching buzzard. Uh, a shrill creature that delights in the misery of others. What's not to love? Braids. Dementia Summoner. Yeah, so this is a card where back when it was printed in Onslaught originally, it had dies didn't exist yet so it was a little too long to get the so wordy right it was really wordy right but now we got rid of that and we have some room for flavor text so we wrote this new piece and what i think is really cool about this piece a nice little subtle nod is that it calls out braids so it's actually in the timeline and world that screeching buzzard was originally from so you have that artwork which matches the aesthetic of onslaught and the new flavor text that kind of throws back so that was cool to me i know that's what everyone came for was the flavor text trivia that's a really random card to reprint, though, isn't it? Just, like, a random common from, like, Onslaught or whatever? Well, when we were, ma- when we were making the limited environment, we wanted to b- get it balanced properly, and we tried a number of different things. And one nice thing about Two at a Giant is cards that affect each opponent are extra powerful here. Oh, I didn't see... Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And so there's not that many cards that do that, and so we had to kind of pick and choose very carefully. And I think we originally had Liliana Spectre, but it was actually just too strong. A three-mana 2-1 that effectively mind rots because they discard two cards was really powerful. So we made Screeching Buzzard instead. And, um, you know, one of the fun things about these reprint 
reprint sets like Battle Bond as a designer is, well, I guess a, a fun and also very aggravating part, there, it's a little bit of both, is that they're almost like puzzles because you have to use so, a bunch of reprints. And so like finding the right reprint for your set is this like very careful puzzle of doing lots of gatherer searches and finding just the right overlap cards and when you find just the right card to reprint, it's like this amazing euphoric feeling. You're like, oh, this fits the set perfectly, and then you put it on in. But then there's other times where you look for a five-drop black common creature with art that works for your set, and there was just like nothing. It's just total, total dregs. <laughs> so, so naturally, of course, you end up making a new one that won't fit any future set, and then other sets will continue to bear the burden of asking themselves if they want Dreg Reaver or Catacomb Slug or whatever. Um, uh, catacomb Slug. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, eventually we ended up with uh, these these maggots that the five mana three five maggots that that is a reprint actually. Yeah, rot feaster. Yeah, rot feaster maggots. Uh, there was a card called that I'm sure we all know um, very well called. There's a shade from Mercadian Masks. Oh, of course, Primeval Shambler. How could you forget Primeval Shambler? Yeah. So I looked at this for a while, but the art was not something that we were super keen on on reprinting. It also just had it, it wasn't a great fit for it to be a common. So we ended up making a fan favorite instead and then you fight you know made the Rot Feaster Maggot guy. It was actually Catacomb Slug for a really long time. And then at the very end it made it the Rot Feaster Maggots. I know this is what everyone came for by the way on the Your Commander podcast. Actually dude, I am super here for this. This is like genuinely interesting. A big question people had and I I know somebody who actually collects every version of these two cards and he did a quick count and there were 31 i think he said of and this is actually gerald steer one of our uh, patrons as well he says there are 31 different printed versions of swords to plowshares and only 15 i think he said and please listeners uh, I actually don't care what the numbers are but it's like around 30 and around 15 of path to exile well surprise me it's that high yeah, I thought Path of Exile was like four. I see nine on Gatherer. It's like all the Judge promos uh, and stuff like that. No, yeah, I guess if you count the Judge promos, it's probably a little more than that. It's probably like yeah. 11 or something like that. So now why did you choose Swords to Plowshares over Path to Exile? Yeah, you know, this was actually one of the very last changes made to the set. And we had Path in there for a while. But kind of at the end, what we're the one thing I was kind of worried about is we have these aggressive decks and it's important that the format has aggressive decks and the warrior deck for example is very aggressive but by the same token if you spend 45 minutes drafting the set and then you sit down and you deck build and you sit down and you play and you get run over in eight minutes that's sort of uh, not not always the best especially it's okay if that happens every now and then but to happen over and over would not be great so i wanted to help get in a little bit of um you know, it's just to make a couple small tweaks that would help that not happen quite as often. And, you know, in a set, what you can realize as a designer, like, you know, as a listener, I'm sure, like, well, that's just one card, whatever. But, you know, every single change counts. You can make one or two really small tweaks, and it can just, you know, change the percentage of times that happens by 5% by when you look at, you know, all the games of Battle Bond that will be played around the world. That's a ton of games that end up being different. And, I mean, kind of, it's funny, going back to what we were just talking about, Rot Feaster Maggot over Catacomb Slug was another example of this, where it just gives a little bit of life gain into the format. And then we ended up changing uh, Path to Exile to Swords of Plowshares, because if, you, if you're going to kill somebody and you path their creature, the extra land doesn't mean anything. But if you Swords their creature, the extra life can even let, let them live for another turn, or or you can even Swords your own creature to go up on life if you need to yeah and um 
the other thing about it, the other reason why we made the change late is originally there was this idea of, oh, it's really cute. You can path your teammate's creature and then they can go rampant growth. And that's a fun little thing you can do. But in reality, that never really happened. Like no one was playing out a creature and then letting their friend path to exile it. So you could spend someone's whole turn of playing creature and your path to exile to rampant growth yourself. But with Swords of Plowshares, there's a ton of times where in like the really narrow like last few turns of the game, you might sword your own creature to gain some life. So it, it, I think it actually just plays better for the format overall. Hmm. Um, I, with that said, Path to Exile is certainly a card we know we need to print more times, and it's on our radar to make more copies of. It was just in Explorers of Ixalan, actually. Yeah, but I'm not going to buy a dozen boxes of Explorers to take the one path out. And I don't like breaking up the board games because I think it's better if you have the decks full. Well, you buy a dozen, you break the other 11 up. I really like and, the expansion uh, set symbol from uh, Explorers of Ixalan, so I'm actually considering doing that. But that's because I'm also weird. Plus you get Aggravated Assault. Ooh, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> I do wish you guys would pick the cool Judge promo art of Sword Splashers with the dude fading from the sword to the plow into the hoe, but... You know, that's also just me. What story element does that reflect? The retired gladiator? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know, but it's Therese Nielsen art, so it's great, I guess. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm always happy to see Swords of Plowshares. It's like... Yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. Why would you feel bad? We're commander players. You always need another swords. So, let's talk a little bit about some of these fancy mechanics you put in there. What's this partner with? Tell us how you came to that, because it's fantastic. Yeah, so wow, this was quite the quite the route to partner with. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. First there was the Big Bang, and then uh, and then some years afterwards, Sean Main was working on Battlebond. <laughs> and something he determined early on, and I definitely agreed with, is we wanted to have a mechanic that on cards that let creatures team up. And his idea for this was Partner. And what he actually had at the time was he just took legends from the set, wrote the word partner on them, and that was it. There's cards with partner. They didn't do anything different and limited. There might, there might have been a few cards you try at various points that were like your partners get plus two, plus two, or you know, target creature gets plus two, plus two. If it's a partner, it gets plus four, plus four instead. Stuff that, that checked the word partner. But other than that, you just put in the word partner under cards. And so when Sean handed the set off to me, um, or about the time he was doing it, we were, we were talking about it a little bit. And um, the problem was, first of all, it was just a little weird to have partner on a card without anything in the set that, that like, you couldn't play it with, with your commander. It was just a weird uh, extra thing to have there. And additionally, it was actively confusing in draft because people thought by drafting these partners, they could play with them as commanders. So that was super confusing to people. And so at the very end of, of the process, what we, we found that we had this technology to put two cards in a booster pack together. It was something brand new we could, we could never do before. And we're like, well, maybe we, we can make use of this. And so Sean and I kind of worked together to come up with this me- different mechanic called Duo. And Duo... Um, was very similar to what you see with Partner With today, except it was called Duo With card name. And when the creature came into play, you paid a mana cost to let you go with the other colors, or the other card. So an example, imagine if today's version of Peer was one and a green, and then when it came into play, target player could pay blue to search their library for Toothy and put it into their hand. So we basically offloaded mana from the, from the mana cost into this tutoring cost and the reason for that was so that there would be both colors so that you could play peer as your commander 
And then when you played him, you could search your library for Toothy, because if, if Pierre was only mono green, you couldn't play Pierre and Toothy in the same deck. So we tried that for a really long time, and we found that the, the mana cost on the search was a little unwieldy, and it kind of just lied to you, because you never actually wanted to play the card without the mana to, to go search up the other half. That was kind of silly. Uh, and when we started testing them in Commander, well, the feedback we got from those players is that, well... You kind of build around both halves of your creature duo, but one of them would just die and go into the graveyard afterwards. So then we thought, okay, well, what if with, with your the, your duo ability, you could also pull them out of your graveyard? But that was actually really crazy because it did exactly the wrong thing. What you would do is you would play one half of your partner, you'd wait for it to die, then you'd play the other half of your partner, you'd get the other one back, and then you just loop them back and forth, so on and so forth. So it was actually exactly not about having them both in play at the same time. It was about having one in play at any given time. I feel like that is so infinitely abusable. I think the designers agree with you. Yeah, and that also doesn't seem very fun. Yeah, well, that's why we ended up with partner with instead of the abusable graveyard shenanigans. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and this, you know, this is why we play these games, so you guys don't have to. And uh, eventually, you know, we realized, well, look, a lot of things were coming around. People wanted these to be better in Commander. They wanted to be able to use them both as their commanders. They wanted to take the mana out of the out of the duo search and the mana cost. So why don't we just let them both be your commanders? And... Well, we have a mechanic that does that, and it's called partner. And we really like the functionality of the searching part. So we're like, what if we just make a variant on partner? And we talked about it for a while and pulled it within R&D. And yeah, it was a little bit strange, but ultimately we decided it was the right way to go. And, you know, the, the weirdest part to me is that it doesn't say on the cards that they can be your commander. But we did that for a few reasons. One is that, once again, saying that was actively tripping people up by letting them think they could use commanders in the limited format. Two... We figured people that information would disseminate. People would figure it out. And while it's it's true that it's a little bit strange, by this point, basically everyone I talked to you about them understands that yeah, they can be your commanders now. So that information definitely disseminated well. And three, it meant that there weren't all these extra words on cards that would just mean that we could write fewer cooler things because um, you know the the this mechanic's already wordy. And if you add in another another line saying it can be your commander, you just lose a line of game text you could be putting on these things. So that's kind of uh, the short version of how it came to be. There's also, we tried a bunch of other things. There's some crazy frames on cards we tried out at various points. Um, but yeah, that's how it came to be. And I, I'm really happy with how it came out. I think there's a lot of potential for this mechanic in the future. You know, like yeah. we could do a lot of other things with it besides what we did here. We kept it to two cards, for example, because it's the two and a giant set. But if we do some future set that, I don't know, is about Emperor and it's three on three magic, you could have card a which finds card b which card which find card c you know so you get to do kind of the whole range or you could do partner with a beast and you get to pick a beast that has partner to play with it so there's a lot of really fun room to play around with here design wise and um for now i'm really stoked about how it ended up in this set and i think it's a a total blast to, to play with and allows you to do some really cool stuff and it, it, frankly the moment where i play my partner i target you phil and you search for your partner and play it you get this great like high five team up moment it's so much fun it's really really awesome i'm glad it worked out this well because the last time we had donald minor from edh rec on uh he was uh expressing his dismay at having to account for each of the partner combinations and uh, there were many of them because you could, of course, partner with any other partner at the time. In this particular case, it's cool because, well, I'm sure he thinks it's cool because it's only one pair of partners for each of the partner with cards. But please, don't let that stop you good. from printing more partner cards. <laughs> 
We'll have to see, Shivam. I'm pretty sure he can't share uh, the future with us. Now, what about this uh, assist? Our, our, our preview card, I don't know if you recall it. Yeah, some shady guy gave it to you. Some shady guy gave it to us. Some shady guy gave it to us completely free. And uh, it was, of course, play of the game, and it's just this amazing board wipe. Truly amazing, <laughs> that devastating, card makes you so angry. board wipe. It scares <laughs> me so much because I know I'm going to see it, and uh, it's it's scary. Like, Gavin, I got to say, do you know how much how bad it feels to preview a card that you know is going to slaughter you every time you see it? <laughs> Try designing cards that will slaughter you every time. I was time just going to say, I, he's got it one worse because he had to build that card. <laughs> he had to make that card. So tell us about assist this this sharing the mana cost thing. Yeah. So um, when Sean handed the set over to me, there was a mechanic in there called dramatic entrance, and the way that dramatic entrance worked was it was basically kicker that anybody could pay. So I could play my creature, and it would have you know, dramatic entrance three, and then Phil would pay three mana, and life would be great. And I would. Um, but we found a few things. First of all, once again, the mana cost really lied to you. You never wanted to play them without the kicker. And it made for a lot of kind of finagling on exact amounts. Like, okay, this costs four to play, and three to entrance, so you got to leave up three mana, and so on and so forth. And um, we played with it for a little while, and then we had a play test where Kelly Diggs was in there, and I always really, really value Kelly's opinion on um on well on everything really but especially when it came to card mechanics because because he would always be very honest and real about things and we were talking afterwards and he wasn't really happy with how dramatic entrance was playing and then he just said i really wish that we could have just divvied up the the mana to play the spell however we wanted and a, a light bulb went off over my head it was perfect yeah and um i i went in and talked to the team and talked to rules to make sure that it worked. And they're like, yeah, it's a little weird, but as long as you don't need to do it on Magic Online, it'll be fine. And um, so we went into the set. And, you know, I, I will say I've gotten a lot of questions about Assist as to how it works. And a lot of them are from rules, especially rules-focused people who are just, like, kind of confused about the particulars. But for most players I see talking about it, I think they mostly get it. It's like, yeah, you, you know... You just talk at a table and you're like, hey, you want to help me cast this thing? And then someone says yes or no, probably yes if you're asking the question, and then you cast it. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And it is really straightforward. Yeah, no, Assist feels to me like Old Magic did, where uh, when you read the card, it's pretty obvious if you're playing from a casual level, but if you think about it from a rules perspective, then you get kind of caught up in weird particulars. But I think from a Battle Bond perspective, generally speaking, it works the way you think it does. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, you know, we actually found this a lot with sagas in Dominaria, where to most people, they just picked it up and figured out how they worked right away. It all makes sense. And then to the people who know the rules really well, they're like, oh, is it a state-based action, or when does this thing trigger? And there's all these confusing questions. So sort of like knowing too much sometimes can be dangerous. Really, really cool. Now, it's not quite a mechanic, but a lot of cards reference your team. What is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so first of all, if you're playing and you, you're the only person on your team, don't worry, you're a team of one, so your cards still work. And we basically wanted a way that would help make sure that you could work together as a team into it, a giant. One of the fun ways to do that is to actually call out your team. Your team does things. All your creatures on that your team controls gain haste or you know whatever the case might be. So we wrote it on a handful of cards. And what we did find is we tried to put it mostly on the commons and uncommons to help make limited work. Um, on the higher rarity cards, some people had trouble interpreting that as only you. But you know it still ended up on a number of them. 
Um, I think Regna has it, for example. Peer has it, for example. And also, in, in R&D, when we were testing, some people would see these cards and think, wow, this doesn't work in one-on-one gameplay. But of course, now in the real world, this information disseminates a little better, so it's easier <laughs> to, to figure that out. Um, yeah, I mean, basically just a cool way to make a little bit of extra team oomph and then in Commander or Standard, or well, not Standard, but in Commander or Legacy or wherever you're playing these cards, your team still just means you. Yeah, and and that goes very nicely with the friend or foe mechanic, too. Those cards are awesome, by the way. Aren't they? They're incredible. But they do feel kind of mean. Like, the friend ones are so much better and the foe ones are so worse. Hey, don't be my enemy, man. I mean, fair. Don't be my foe, because I'm going to put counters on all my friend's creatures. Yeah, the friend, I love how those cards turned out, by the way. The idea of literally labeling people friends and foes is so much fun. And also, the times you're playing two-headed giant and you get to call your teammate a foe doesn't happen very often, but every now and then you just feel so good about it when it's the right play to make them sacrifice some artifact or enchantment (laughs) or something like that. That's very cool. And I'm going to especially enjoy tapping myself and saying, I am my own friend. (laughs) (laughs) You are both my foes. Now sacrifice. I'm my only friend. Yeah, Piers Wim, man. That card is really powerful yeah it is i was listening to the command zones review of battle bond and um they're like you can even use peers women to be really political because you can be like okay i'm gonna choose friend for all you guys but i need you to all go get strip mines so you can strip mine each other like stuff like that right and i didn't even consider that as an option oh yeah no (laughs) these cards are super political you i mean think about Think about how it would feel if you're playing an EDH game and you you pick two of the other guys to be your friends and then one dude to be the foe. Like, that's a political decision, man. Right, like, on that level of politics, totally. Like, that I figured out. But the fact that you could all be like, hey, I'll make you my friend if you use the land you get to do something mean to someone else, I didn't even consider that. You know, they're like, go at strip mine and then strip mine Jim's lands. And you're like, dude. So we're going to make six, six of us are all going to go get strip mines and we're all going to strip mine gym. That's so mean. Um, but, but here we are. Uh, that is a beautiful card, isn't it? Yeah. Those cards are going to be bonkers. I, I think it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and it comes in tap too. So after you make that deal, Jim's going to be like, I've got all these tapped strip mines. What? Oh God. <laughs> those cards are amazing. I'm just saying. Yeah, they, they are. So now you also introduce these almost well, these dual lands, but lowercase d, these almost OG powerful dual lands that, that come into play untapped if you have two or more opponents. What was the inspiration for those? Because they're really cool. So the deal with these lands is basically it's, it was pretty simple. Sean Main handed the set off to me, and I was like, okay, well, we're making it this set. We want there to be a bunch of rares for Commander. What do we never put in normal magic sets for Commander? that everyone loves, dual lands. And it was just super clear to me. I was like, let's make a cycle of dual lands because commander players like dual lands. They need them for for their decks. They can always use use more of them. And we can make ones that are targeted at multiplayer play because this is about two at a giant. It was a perfect fit. So we iterated on a few different styles of them, but ultimately these were just the cleanest and ones we were happiest with. Uh, they always come into play untapped and we can do five here and five in a future set and the world will be happy. Oh, five in a future set. You hear that, everybody? Look, man, almost every deck I own is an enemy colored deck, so I'm I'm tapping my foot impatiently here. <laughs> but uh, related to the multiplayer lands, Battle Bond is the first of these kind of drafty uh, innovation sets that you've made that has its own basic lands. 
how did that come about? I mean, as a person who loves Basic Lands, I am all about it, especially since Titus Lunter went out of his way to basically make Smash Brothers levels into <laughs> Basic Lands for Battle Bond. So um, he straight up said that on Twitter. I was like, that is that is sneaky, my friend. Yeah, so we, in you know, in talking with the creative team, we built out this whole world, and it's kind of a shame that we wouldn't get Basic Lands to show it off. And as it turns out, Basic Lands are actually a great thing to have here because... The booster packs are 15 cards, and when you're drafting to it a giant, you pick two cards at a time. So getting to the last card in the pack is a little strange, because there's only one card left, mm. and you know you take it instead of two cards. So making it be a basic land made a lot of sense, and that way the packs would go down from 15 to 14 cards um, that you would be you would be drafting between. And yeah, I and the, they turned out great. We had to show off the world a little bit and the arena, which is key to this whole this whole uh, battling on Balor's Reach. So I, I thought it was a great decision, and I hope that going forward in future innovation sets, we get the chance that when we do sets that build out their own worlds, we get the chance to use these lands. In Conspiracy, you know, I think part of the reason, reason why we didn't do it, even though Conspiracy would have had awesome basic lands, is we were already eating a bunch of slots in the booster pack right. with the Conspiracy's hidden agendas and so on. But here it was just a great opportunity and it all kind of fit up perfectly to do it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, did you think about something like a conspiracy that uh, model, uh, sorry, that sort of models the malleability of uh, Valor's Reach? Yeah, we, we did talk a little bit about doing secret actions or those kind of things. But, we, you know, we've decided that that's kind of very much conspiracy space. And this was its own thing. This had the unique thing of being two at a giant draft, not draft matters or not pregame action matters. Yeah. So we'll save that for the conspiracy space and then let uh, Battle Bond and f- any future Battle Bonds have their two at a giant space uh, carved out for them. And who knows, if we do a different kind of innovation draft set in the future, it'll, that'll have its own space and so on. I guess you could do something like a plane chase, too. Right, right. You could do... There's all kinds of space for draft innovations, and uh, we have so many ideas for what these could be, and the fact that you only do one a year means we've got plenty of time to get through them. Yeah, you do. And then, of course, we're going to want to do sequels at various points, too, right? So Conspiracy 3 or Battle Bond 2 or whatever. Uh, more unsets. I'm sure at some point we'll want to do another one of those. Yeah, no, my one uh, sadness is that this set would have been the perfect place to put a reprint with new art of Terramorphic Expanse, because the ground of the arena is always changing. And so it's like, ooh, look, the the land, it's terramorphicking. You know, it would have been, <laughs> it would have worked. It would have worked, and you could have given me a card that's not evolving well. So normally, we we like putting a common land that fixes your mana into a set like this. But we didn't for two reasons. And actually, we did look at that card. Um, but we didn't do it for two reasons here. One is that because you're drafting four booster packs, mm. you really need all your cards to count toward the spells in your deck because you you, you only end up cutting like nine-ish cards between the two of you. So lands take away from that, so we want to be really careful about that. And there are no lands besides the five dual lands. Oh, that's really good. Yep. Um, and then the second, the second part is we really wanted it to be about playing two colors, not three colors, um, because we wanted you to be allied color decks most of the time so that the partners would go into your teammates' deck. So I'd put my blue, blue partner in my deck, you'd put the red partner in your deck, and instead of me putting the blue and the red partner in my deck, because the, the fun part is I play it and you search it out and you play it alongside me. So we really wanted to keep people, people to two colors. And also, um, if you have too good of mana fixing, it just becomes, let's draft all five colors and then we'll just end up playing some combination of them, where if you actually have to narrow down into I'm these two colors, you're these two colors, it could be pretty interesting so we 
made the mana fixing not great in this set for that reason. Um, there's ramp, certainly, but a lot of the ramper cards, like, say, Sky Shroud Claim, which gives you two forests instead of two lands of any color. So um, that's why you don't find Terramorphic Expanse or Evolving Wilds in this set. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, isn't it? That is a much better answer than what I was expecting, and that's really kind of cool. Now, um, we have a returning mechanic, support. Support seems like a natural fit for this. That was great. And, of course, support is uh, where, you know, you cast a spell or a creature enters the battlefield and you support up to a number. And uh, that means that you can put a plus one, plus one counter on up to that many creatures. Wasn't that from Oath of the Gatewatch? Yeah, it was, it was from Oath. Yeah. Uh, support was just a really natural fit. You know, we wanted to bring in a returning mechanic. This was Intuitive Giant. Uh, in Oath of Gatewatch, we was put in the set partially for that reason. And it fit really, really great here. And the other thing is, um, last time around, we didn't get to make many commander shots or strong uh, cards started for commander play with support. And this time around, we wanted to give it some juice. So we made a generous patron and together forever as two pretty strong cards. I wouldn't be surprised if they show up in a number of commander decks. Yeah. Yeah. Generous patron is awesome. And just the idea that now you would support somebody else's creatures. And of course, Oath was meant to be played two at a giant, but I don't think I ever played it two at a giant. And I use the support in, and as do other people, in a lot of plus one, plus one counters matter decks. But to, to put it like if Shivam and I are playing two at a giant, and in fact, in Vegas, it should be you and Sean versus me and Shivam for at least one game. I'm in. And then we'll, we'll, we'll close the circle. We'll have a cone of silence. And people will only see us moving our lips and leaning back, making laugh gestures. But support on other people's cards will be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. As someone who did a bunch today, I can, can confirm it is still powerful. Oh wow! And but not surge, huh? I guess assist took its took the place of surge. Yeah, assist took the place of surge. You're absolutely right there. It, um, you know, we, we, surge is a really great mechanic and has a lot of really good stuff going for it. But the problem is, it was just so close to assist and so close to a lot of the things we were trying to do with assist. Yeah. Okay. Before we go to our cards, can I ask you just one thing that's been burning, a burning question about <laughs> Battle Bond? It feels like you guys went out of your way to put a bunch of amazing, like, commander staples into the set. Cards that, like, Greater Good or Doubling Season that we were totally not expecting to see again. And were there any, like, just perfect slam dunk, like, reprints? Or did you guys try to find a way to bring these staples back that would also fit your set? Both. I mean, we there were no cards that I wanted to put in here which were blanks in the format. You know, we looked at a few different reprints that just did literally nothing um, in in Twitter Giant. That that didn't feel quite right. Um, but we wanted to make sure that yeah, especially at Rare and Mythic, there were a lot of cards that were targeted toward Commander players. And fortunately, there's a lot of really sweet reprints that were also good in Battle Bond, like Doubling Season. Totally fine card. You play, you start supporting away, and your guys get huge. So if you, you can always live the dream and get Rowan or and Will Kenrith with um, with Doubling Season, that's pretty sweet too. So. Uh, yeah, we you know we specifically looked for cards that we needed to reprint, and we hadn't really put them in master sets because those are often targeted toward um, competitive players. And this was a great chance to put a lot of these really exciting uh, commander-focused cards. Cool. Yeah, they're really cool. <laughs> I mean, every day the commander community was just like, I can't believe they just put that back. Holy crap. Listeners, we are running a bit long and we're running into technical difficulties, so before we lose Gavin entirely, what we've chosen to do is select one card each that we're going to talk about. 
and we're going to start with Gavin. The card I want to talk about is Stunning Reversal. Oh. I love this card. So this at card, I haven't told the story anywhere yet, by the way. So this is a this is a commander an exclusive. exclusive. So thanks, Mister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no problem. So I went to GDC a couple of years ago, and GDC is the Game Developers Conference, and I was watching this talk where they were talking about how in games, and, and they were a game that. Um, that had a lot of back and really good back and forth action. And at the, and what they try and do is make it so at the very end of the game, there's like the opportunity for these great comebacks and really exciting things to happen. And I I came back from that thinking about how can we make it so that at the very end of the game, that you, you know, you have a chance to come back and turn around. Like you get one more shot basically. And this idea had been rolling around in my head for a while and flash forward, maybe a year later, I was designing, I needed to design a bunch of new rares for Battle Bond, and I was trying to think of top-down things. And we have this list of names of just top-down esports and sports tropes, and I was trying to design cards around them. And one of them was called Throw the Match, and I was like, okay, what would a card called Throw the Match do? And I came up with basically exactly this, and um, and then the, with the idea being that it would be this thing that you could play and then just come back from the jaws of defeat on. And it ended up being that, that the flavor of Throw the Match was entirely incorrect. It didn't make any sense at all. But right. Stunning Reversal, like coming back and that, that you know, from the grips of, of defeat was perfect. And um, I don't know, I, I just have a really strong opinion for this card. I think it's really cool. The idea of if you lose the game, instead do something else. It's a totally wild ga- uh, line of game text. And this card is a blast to play with. I... I the moment where I actually saw it pulled off in limited, where someone got attacked for lethal, and then they cast this, went to one, untapped, and and attacked for the win, was yeah. such a cool moment. Um, so I, I love this card, and I'm so stoked we got to make it exist. There, I have many favorite cards in this set, but this is definitely one that I wanted to talk about, and it's got a fun story behind it. Yeah, we I I played a couple of games just on Thursday night where I could have used this card. Where it came down to, if you don't kill me, I'm going to kill the table. <laughs> and if I had a stunning reversal, I could have stopped them from killing me. Ah. Followed up with your prodigal sorcerer. Bing. Sorry. Bing. <laughs> yeah, because it's only the next time you lose this turn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not if you would lose this turn. Yeah, we, we that version was really broken. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if there's any kind of crazy combo deck that could exist with this, you know, because you can do all kinds of ways you can force yourself to lose. Like, for, for example, Final Fortune, untap, cast Stunning Reversal, and then you just draw on seven cards, and, <laughs> you know, maybe you take another turn after that one, and then who knows what happens. That's good. Or, like, Lich's Mastery or Poison or... Uh... For, for all, hey, for all you Black Commander players out there, this is your way to get Phage in play. You yeah, know, all you need is 11 <laughs> mana. You're like... Play, play stunning reversal, fade from my command zone. Bam, here it is. The, I, I'm at one life, but but who's counting, right? I feel like there's got to be a better way. But um, all right. And your life total becomes one in the in the uh, in the bargain. <laughs> right, right. I mean, no problem, no problem. Yeah. All right, Shivam. Uh, also, by uh, the way, really good with near death experience combo. Uh, yeah. And what about the uh, what about the pacts? Yeah, right. That's another great one. Pat your thing. Think you're going to lose. Bam. Why should I pay for my pack? I can just draw seven cards instead. And like pay 19 <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. And you're, on, you're only paying four mana instead of like the five for the typical pact. 
Yeah, I feel like that. Maybe you could have thought that one out a little bit more. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you get seven cards, Shivam. I mean, all I'm saying is that um, if I had four mana sitting around, I would probably be casting Bramble Sovereign instead. The uh, four, 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 four. Uh-huh. That whenever another non-token creature enters a battlefield, you may pay one and a green. And if you do, that creature's controller creates a token that is a copy of that creature that noticeably does not leave play at the end of turn. Yeah. Holy crap! Yeah, that's a that's a, that's pretty amazing. We're <laughs> put that guy with doubling season in parallel lives. Oh, we'll take everybody to the Terastodontist. Bum, bum, bum. I'm just saying Hapatra is living the dream here. Infinite snakes all day forever. Non-token creature. Gosh, darned it. But I would, <laughs> in fact, uh, love me some, uh, a handful of crater hooves. Or uh, a Gonti. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to sack the Gonti token, but you get another Gonti trigger off of it. Oh, th- yeah. I feel like there's some disgustings. That you could be done with this card. And with Panharmonicon, that's uh, two triggers. The best off of card. This. So Bramble Sovereign actually came. So once again, looking for ways to fill holes in the set. And it's, we're working on this set or actually around the time we're working on Ixalan for an idea of how long it took for this thing to come out. And um, Jules Robbins, who's on, hilariously on the set design team for this set, submitted a version of Bramble Sovereign for Ixalan for hole filling. And after each round of hole filling, and the hole filling inside the company is when um, there's a hole in a magic set and everyone in the company gets a chance to submit car- uh, card designs for it. And what's a hole in a magic set for the listeners who don't know that? Totally. So it'd be like, hey, we need a green mythic rare. And everyone in the company will try their hardest to send in their green mythic rares. And then they'll pick one, put in the set, and you know, then the rest will will just stay in someone's inbox somewhere forever. Um, but what happened is this time around, coincidentally enough, they picked a different green mythic rare for Ixalan, but in the email it said, this was a fan favorite. We really like this one. We hope it finds, it finds a home somewhere. And I was reading this email and I was like, perfect. I know what I can do with this. So I put it, <laughs> it even had the doubling 2Z thing that's so good for Battle Bond. And hilariously, Jules was, even, was on my set design team. So I put his card in my set, even though he didn't submit it for my set. But um, so I put it in, I think it's a seven mana seven, seven. And then when we were looking to make our cards a little more appealing, we were like, well, how low can we go on this? And four mana, four, four was the the bottom of where we felt like we could put it and have it be a reasonable card. And with a doubling effect that costs two. Yeah, with a doubling effect, effect that costs two instead of seven mana uh, to, to double. Oh, no, it was it was a seven mana, seven, seven, but it doubled for free. And that was... That that had that was both really expensive, but also really broken if you got your combo going off or whatever. So we're like, oh, let's make it cheaper and put a mana gate on it. And maybe that makes it a cube playable card as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And um, then the, one of my last, at the very end, I basically did a pass on all the cards. Like, is there anything that could be like more teammate focused? And I realized that with Bramble Sovereign, it would be fun if you could pay mana to give your teammates extra copy of creatures, which also allows for some fun politics and commander too of, hey, uh, Shivam, you're going to play a creature? I'll give you a copy if you promise not to attack me with it. Great. Have a copy. Go nuts. And there's some fun <laughs> possibilities there. Yeah. Or just making sure that your phage opponent definitely never gets their phage to, to work for them. <laughs> I think the Sovereign has a home in Kynaeus and Tiro group hug, too. And they can play off of the whole Sovereign thing, too. But they can always trump anybody, any Sovereign. They can trump by saying, we are the Parade Float Mayors. Indeed, the playtest name for that card. I love that. <laughs> You've deviated a little bit. Gavin, by selecting a black card, because Shivam and I both chose green cards. I've chosen Peer, 
Imaginative Rascal. That's a great card. For two and a green, partner with Toothy. Toothy's awesome, but whatever. If one or more counters would be put on a permanent your team controls, that many plus one of each of those kinds of counters are put on that permanent instead. We finally have something that will add to the payment cost of adding counters to your planeswalkers. So how does this work with doubling season? Well, question mark? Um... Yeah, it does. It works well. Yeah. Because the doubling season, you would put one counter on it. Doubling season says, no, 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 no. Instead, put two counters if it's in effect, not as if it's a payment for the planeswalker. And then Pierre goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Put one more on there. Oh, okay. I think you get to choose the order your replacement effects happen. I'm not 100% sure on this. Ask your local judge. But I think that's right. It seems like a good idea anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah. So actually, you're right. With with Pierre, it can be, I'm going to put a plus one, plus one counter on this. And Pierre goes, no, 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 no. You're going to put two. And then doubling season says, what? Did someone say two? I meant four. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Oh. I, could be, I could be wrong, though. So with Pierre and a doubling season, Pierre is an effect, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, it's a replacement effect. So Yeah, replacement effect thing. So then with doubling season, would if if you tick up a planeswalker by one, Pierre says, no, no, tick it up by two. And then does doubling season says, whoa, somebody played an effect. And then if you have like, uh, I don't know, tribal metallic mimic in play that says when a creature comes into play, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it, then your panharmonicon doubles, then suddenly you're in Flavortown. And uh, everything went crazy. The crowd goes wild. In part because at that point, I think the universe cracks wide open. And your table crushes from all the dice on it. And swallows the entire table. So we asked some of our Patroni for their favorite cards, and they selected uh, a wide variety. Of course, uh, Dave Mitchell, our editor. Hey, Dave, once again. He selected the Archfiend of Despair. For six and black, black, you get a creature demon. Six, six creature demon, of course. With flying, your opponents can't gain life. And oh, by the way, at the beginning of each end step, each opponent loses life equal to the life that player lost this turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this card was totally just, hey, I this set is a little low on big creatures and a little low on Timmy cards. Let's make one. So I just made a big demon that had wound reflection on it. And I was like, yep, that sounds about right. Showed it to some other people. And they're like, yep, that's a card I'd play in Commander. And then I just put it, you know, put it in the set. <laughs> sometimes magic is a very scientific, careful art of balance, get everything just right. And sometimes just like, hey, if we need a big Timmy rare, what do you think? If wound reflection sound good? Ah, everyone likes it. All right, it's in the set. And, you know. <laughs> It, it, I think the card is uh, a lot. I've gotten a lot of really good reactions to this card. People are pretty stoked to play it in their commander decks. Best friends with Heartless Hidetsugu. Yeah, or in the set, you could play it with Virtus and half their life total to make them lose half their life. Oh, yeah, that's that right. Is, so there's an, that th- there's an in combo. Good choice, Dave. Uh, Henry Stukenborg, the, uh, one of our patrons, and also uh, the editor for EDH Rec, um, he selected Piers Whim. Three and a green for a sorcery for each player. Choose friend or foe. This is the one we were talking about before. Each friend searches their library for a strip mine. I mean, <laughs> land card. Puts it onto the battlefield tapped. As long as they are willing to strip mine. Uh, what, who do we say it was? Joe? Jim. 
Jim. Poor yeah, Jim. sorry, Jim. Yeah, sorry, Jim. Let us write in if you're a Jim and this happened to you. Um, and then each foe sacrifices an artifact or enchantment they control. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be brutal. That's yeah, going to be abused a couple of times. Even if it's just I get a, a land, keep in mind it's any land, I get a land and you all have to sacrifice an artifact or enchantment, that's already pretty good for four mana. I mean, everyone has artifacts and enchantments in Commander. This would be great in uh, Dominaria Limited, too. And by great, I mean hideously abusable. Andy Bentley, who we've talked about already on this show. Speaking of warriors. Yeah. Yeah, you should talk about this one because you're the warrior guy. So Andy picked Najila the Blade Blossom. It's just easily one of the most talked about cards I've seen on Twitter. Uh, the two in a red human warrior legend, who's a 3-2. That whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a 1-1 warrior that's also attacking. And then pay Wooberg, untap all your creatures, get trample, lifelink, and haste, and then attack again. This card is bananas. You know, um, a lot of warriors will often ride giant red dinosaurs named Atali into battle. (laughs) 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 I might need to put that into my deck. Yeah, I think Atali has like a, a you know Hidden an honorable type? mention place of honor in here. Oh my god, dude! But oh, and and since you're playing black, you play conspiracy and make everything warriors, and then Atali's a warrior. <laughs> that yeah, that that just seems unnecessarily cruel or fun. <laughs> Spoilers, friends. We're going to do a full show about this. Yeah, because uh, it's amazing. I've had so much fun trying to put this deck together. Maybe we'll have Andy on and we'll compare your deck to Oh, his. yeah, that would be great. So, yeah, with Najila, so if I knew I was going to do a tribe, I, I like to learn lessons from previous sets. And I've learned that people really like five-color commanders. And that if you have a tribe that has support in all five colors, you should let people build the five-color commander deck. And so I wanted to make a card that would be for a five-color warrior deck that could use warriors from across Magic's history. And it got a lot of eyebrows raised at it, as would people actually want to build this deck or not? And ultimately... <laughs> ultimately, like I, everybody does. And ultimately, I was like, I, you know, I don't know if people are going to want to build this deck, but they might, and I want to make sure that I would far rather make the card and have no one want to build the deck than not make the card and have everyone want to make the deck and not be able to. And I'm so glad that I did, because I've heard from so many people, yeah, I want to go build my cool old warrior deck and put all these warriors from across Magic's history and... Um, Plus, she's just a really cool-looking character. I mean, absolutely fantastic. So I'm really happy with how this one turned out. Yeah, yeah let me just say one great. thing, Gavin. So uh, ever since Fate Reforged came out with the uh, Secure the Waste card, which I love to call Fighter Ball because it's just uh, a bunch of fighters come out for X and White. And nice. my other favorite card, Ash Zealot, which is a warrior that doesn't fit. And neither of those decks fit into my Boros Soldiers deck, and I've been sad about it for years. But now with Najila, I can definitely play them, and I'm super stoked. If we can have dual decks, soldiers versus warriors, and finally figure out who should have the creature type. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. I'm going to build that. That is going to be a thing. Yeah, or you just play your soldier commander deck versus your new warrior commander deck, and we'll see who wins. A little, uh, little I bit win. of trivia here. <laughs> The, the the soldiers would have to compete with both Merciless Executioner and Fleshbag Marauder. Yeah. Fleshbag is a zombie warrior. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of random warriors you keep forgetting about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I spent so many hours on Gatherer looking through all the warriors that exist. And there are some cards you do not realize are warriors, but, but they are. 
Well, as much fun as this is, we have to save something to talk about in Vegas, because as we all know, we never have anything to talk about when the three of us get together. <laughs> well, in Vegas, it'll not just be us, but a bunch of other people, too. I mean, I, Sean's going to Vegas, right, from yep. the design team. I think Mel is going to be in Vegas, maybe? Yeah. From yeah. the who's on the creative team for this set, so be a lot of great stories. I think Yichao might be there. He was on the set as well. Okay, dude, yeah. um, hang on. I gotta know, what were you thinking putting Yoshin Soldier into this set? <laughs> like that card was in my first ever Magic deck in 1994. You know, yeah, the Antiquities version or whatever. Why, of all the hundred jillion cards you could have brought back, did you decide to bring back the Toy Soldier? Well, what I was really thinking at the time is Shivam. Really likes this card, so I should put it in the set. No, you know, um, so a key part of making Battle Bond Limited work is, so you draft with only four packs, and you play sealed with only six. And so we did a bunch of tricks to make sure this would work in Limited. But one of the big ones is we put more artifacts in than normal, and especially artifact creatures that could just kind of fill your curve. Not like first pick crazy powerful cards, but just like totally reasonable curve fillers for whatever your deck needed. And we wanted to use a lot of reprints for this. And looking down the list, there just aren't that many good options. And Yoshin Soldier was actually perfect. It's a three-mana one-four. It can defend pretty well. It's fun to suit up and attack with. You can kind of build in cool combos where you can sport on top of it. And it's a fine spot in the curve. So we ended up going with it. And I'm pretty happy with it as a, as a reprint. It's a fun little throwback. Has Vigilance. Yeah. Poets dream the verses of otherworldly stories. Artificers dream the blueprints of other planar artifacts I like yeah that which is by the way if you if you remember because this was a scandal for, at the time for sure that yoshin soldier was on mirrodin right so it was in antiquities and then in mirrodin and the yoshin is like a, a place on dominaria so the fact that it somehow showed up on mirrodin is like totally crazy pants so i think that flavor text is the attempt to explain it mm-hmm. they some artificer was like we need this thing i guess it Let's uses the it. same art as uh, the Mirrodin version. Yep, and the same flavor text. Hmm. I like that. Well, listeners, you rock if you've stuck it out this long, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this at least as much as we have. We had a blast. And Gavin, thank you for coming on the show once again. This time was a little more planned than the last time. Yeah, and I always love coming on the show with you guys, so... It's been fantastic to talk about Battle Bond, and I really hope that if you're listening to this, you'll go out and not just get the cards for Commander, but definitely give it a try playing Tuta Giant, because it is a blast, and it's really unlike any other draft format you've ever played. We're going to co-opt some of the Thursday night Commander games at uh, at my workplace, and uh, we're definitely playing Battle Bond, and it's going to be a blast. It's just going to be so much fun. Maybe I'll have to come down for uh, some of those. Hmm. Maybe. We'll have to set that up. Maybe you won't have a uh, an appointment with Newsweek next time. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Yes. Uh, and you are actually our only guest so far to appear in Newsweek. Yes. I'm glad I could, <laughs> could pass that barrier. Um, but yeah, or if you guys set up a special Friday one, I'd be that'd be a lot easier for me to make. We'll set something up just for you. And maybe Excellent. Shivam will come down for it. Yeah, we could make a little little party. Shivam comes down. Yeah. I come down. You guys just go to your normal location. It'll be great. It'll be a it'll be a, a Shivam Gavin filled dance party. We can we can get Sean to fly in from across the world. Yes, yes, he's uh, still hunting rabbits apparently. Yeah, the, the, that's rabbit season after all. <laughs> 
Well, thank you for hanging out with us, Gavin, and thank you all of the listeners for hanging out with us, too. Very special thanks to our patrons who show their support by donating to us so we can keep on improving the show. And of course, as you heard in this episode, we will often ask our patrons in the $10 patron group on Facebook for contributions to the show. They were happy to do this, so... Thank you very much, guys. Without your continued support, especially you folks in the group on Facebook, we could not do this without you, and we're super grateful for your support. You're welcome. Yes. thank Yes, thank you, Gavin. As, as a fellow patron, happy to have yeah. your support. I, I'm really tickled about that. Gavin, by now, since you're a regular, <laughs> you know the tradition. Would you take us out, please? Thank you for listening to Commanderin, where you are our friends, not our foes. Thank you to Mike Condon for the guitar riff version of the Commanderin theme song. You can reach us by going to our website, commanderinmtg.com. Our email is cast at commanderinmtg.com. You can find us on all of the social medias by searching for Commander and MTG Podcast. This episode was edited by David Mitchell. Our theme song was created for the podcast by Nate Burgess. Our logo was created for the podcast by Mr. Picto with assistance from Kelly DeLuca. You can find more art from Mr. Picto by going to mrpicto.co.uk. Special thanks to tech whizzes Jesse Thompson and Graham Frank and to Justin for the server space. Commander and MTG Podcast is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy. It has not been approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC.